This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to Aviation Careers Podcast. My name is Carl Valeri, and I am joined by Robert Geyer. Robert is a 737 pilot and former recruiter and Czech airman at ExpressJet Airlines. Robert's been on this show a few times and has some really valuable experience to share. But before we get started with questions from you in this episode, just want to remind you about the coaching page. We've done a lot of changes uh, to coaching, and it's been a wonderful year helping people move forward in their career. If you're looking at changing careers or thinking about this as a career or just want to figure out what your next step is in your career, don't forget to consider coaching. Check out our new videos about coaching and why you should consider coaching and moving forward in your career. Also, you know, one of the things I want to tell you about too is the scholarships. We get a lot of questions about this and people keep asking, you know, I don't think I can get a scholarship because I'm too old. That doesn't matter. It's not how old you are. It's really based on how much you want the scholarship. You know, half those scholarships have nothing to do with age. It's just are you wanting to ha- get that scholarship? And it doesn't have to do with your private instrument commercial. You can even get your 737 rating. Well, guys, today uh, is joining me uh, Robert Geyer. Robert, man, it is so good to have you back on the podcast. Welcome back, Robert. Hey, Carl. Uh, thanks for having me again. It's great to be back. You know, Robert, you've been done been great and such an inspiration for a lot of our listeners and uh, have done some great stuff in the past with doing interviews and all. I just wanted to have you come back and, and help us uh, with the podcast, especially uh, those people that have had different challenges in their careers. And I tell you, uh, I don't know if you listened to that last podcast with Lenny. Man, that was one heck of a story that Lenny had to tell, and I, I felt a lot of inspiration. You know, Robert, all of us have different setbacks in our careers and we all have different challenges uh, and i'm sure you know you probably have had a few haven't you uh you know i, I really have carl and uh that was a a really good story uh from lenny and just uh the you know how he rose up and where he's at now and the struggles he's got going forward and uh yeah absolutely uh this this career is one where uh, you will you will have setbacks. Um, you know, we've, I was in the regionals when 2008 hit and we had the, uh, the economy uh, meltdown, uh, with the housing markets and that certainly affected everything. And then the age 65 rule basically set most people back five years from where they were because the retirements pretty much stopped. And that's, uh, that was a huge setback there because I ended up taking a, a downgrade from captain back to FO during that period of time. Uh, so that was one setback that I can really think of. Um, the other step, it's funny too, because the other, other setback I can think of is uh, there's an airline that I actually really wanted to work for, and uh, I was pounding the pavement hard trying to get an interview. Uh, finally, I got that uh, email to start the interview process, and uh, I took one of those personality tests uh, beforehand, and uh, I got the thanks but no thanks after that. And uh, I can tell you that was pretty uh, pretty crushing. Um, the you know trying to wrap my mind around that and just go now you know where do I go from here uh I think that at first it was tough and you know I wanted to get discouraged with it and I certainly did for for a couple weeks I mean you can ask my wife I probably drove her crazy but um the 
the thing is, as eventually I had to say, you know what, this isn't going to get me anywhere. Uh, so I just kept trying and uh, trying to uh, move forward. And like you, that really, that one step of what can I do every day to go forward in my career. So I just started making other contacts and I shot my applications out to all different airlines and uh, the particular airline that I'm at now, uh, which is actually a, it's funny how, how things work, a huge blessing in the sky. So this airline I'm at now is actually a perfect fit for me. And uh, I would have probably never had the opportunity to interview with them had I not been rejected from the first airline. So uh, I, I put my app out and I thought that's a long shot, uh, but why not? And uh, sure enough, uh, about two months after I put the app out, uh, I got the call to start that interview process. And, uh, you know, I, I made sure I, I did all I could to prepare for it and uh, ended up landing the job. And I'm totally happy. I, I feel like I'm, I'm really out of place where I'm going to hang my hat. And this is my, uh, my, home airline now <laughs> so yeah there's there's certainly a lot of uh, setbacks and uh a lot of a lot to work through uh from just you know my time at the regional is trying to move forward and get to a major but uh the thing is you're going to have some days that are extremely discouraging and uh you just keep your your mind right which is something i failed to do i i couldn't see the big picture at some uh some points and i uh, got very discouraged but uh I tell you what, when you make that determination to, to put your attitude in check and just work for and know that everything's going to work out, then I think that's when the real payoffs begin. You know, Robert, I really admire you for all the changes that you made in your life during this period because I know it was a challenge. And what's interesting is you you took this challenge and, and this little setback, which in reality, looking backwards, doesn't seem that big, does it? It's like, gosh, you know, this is a horrible thing that happened. But, but now you're at your your airline that you, now you call your home, and it's something that's worked out for the best. So you never know what doors will open when others close. And for you, a door opened that actually was into a wonderful career with an airline that that you really enjoy. I mean, I I know I, I get messages from you, you know, talking about you know how you like to fly the airplane, et cetera. I think that's really cool. Uh, that you were able to do that. So really encouraging to hear that story, Robert. And I, um, the other thing that you mentioned, and I don't know if I knew this, I probably did, is that sometimes you have to take a step backwards to go forwards. And you actually had to do that. You were actually a captain, then went back to being a first officer, uh, at, and you were at the regionals. I wanted to just ask you a little bit about that. I mean, that must have been tough. And, and what what were your feelings then? I mean, what were, were your, did you have anxiety? Were you worried? Oh, my God, this is it. I'm not going to ever get to the majors, et cetera. Uh, yeah, so that was pretty tough. Um, when, I, when I first found out that I would probably been in the left seat eight months and I had accumulated about 600 hours of uh, turbine PIC time, pilot and command time, and I really uh, was hoping to get the thousand hours. And so when I found out that we were, we we're going to have a bunch of cutbacks, and uh, you know, I, it's funny I'm complaining about being downgraded at this time. You know, putting things in perspective, there was 300 and what about 360 something pilots mm. uh, that were furloughed on the streets. And as you know, you were the uh, you know you you had the, a, a big uh, job working with the furloughs um, at that time at our airline, but. Um, yeah, the the downgrade was uh, was extremely disappointing. 
I chose, I could have held a certain base up in the Northeast, and I, and I live in Houston. I could have held a certain base up in the Northeast, but I would have been at the very bottom uh, commuting to reserve, and I just had our very first child. So it was it would have just been way too much of my wife, and, you know, I had to take our totality of circumstances and go, you know what, this is not the best thing for me to do, to go commute up there and uh, just to hold the left seat, because I would have almost never been home. And um, so that was a huge decision to make. And it wasn't one that uh, was a was a light decision to make because I'm feeling I'm almost here with that that magic thousand hours um, that people always talked about. But I, I, I just can't do it. Um, sometimes you just got to make a decision for your family. And that was one of them. Uh, so, yeah, it was extremely discouraging. And I didn't know that, uh, you know, what, what the outcome would be, you know, how long uh, the downturn would last. Uh, you know, you just don't know these things going forward. And the thing is, I let my attitude get in the way a little bit as far as just getting really down uh, about it. And if I can just speak to some of that situation where they might be getting the blows, uh, you know, from just life, uh, that just stick with it. And I, I did not do a good job at the time, and I've since learned and, and hopefully matured uh, through that, is the point that you just got to readjust your focus, readjust your attitude, and just keep trying and know that there's a bigger picture behind it all. Um, and, uh, had I known how my career turned out, you know, back then, sure. It would have been easy to, uh, to go through that, but it was in that time when you're in that moment and you're down and you're, you know, you're just frustrated and you go, man, you know, I thought I was going forward in my career and it feels like you're going backwards. It's extremely frustrating. You know, you mentioned something there, and I think that's awesome. Sometimes you have have to mature a little bit and put things in perspective. That's really important. But you mentioned commuting to reserve, and I know that there's a lot of people listening right now that don't really understand what the implications are as far as commuting up to reserve and, and why that's why is that such a big deal. So maybe maybe you could kind of put some color into that and explain to us why why is it so tough to commute to reserve. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the, the one thing with, uh, the reserve, uh, so I was on reserve in Houston at the time and that's easy enough because when you live in base, you jump in your car, you go to the airport, you do your trip and then you come home and you, you land back at your domicile and you jump in your car and you're done. Uh, there's no time spent getting to and from work. So when you're commuting on reserve, you're going, up to where you're having to catch the flight beforehand. Uh, most most likely, uh, especially if you have an early, uh, so reserve is basically done on call-out times for your day where you're sitting there and you have to be near your phone for the company to call you if they need you. you a lot of times that, that call-out time starts very early, so you're spending a day beforehand um, flying up to your domicile and then you're paying for a hotel room or a crash pad and so you sit up there and then you do your trips and sometimes your trips might not get back um, until late that night to where you can't catch a flight back the day of. Uh, so then you got to spend another night. And then so you could potentially eat two of your days off on either side of those uh, of those reserve blocks. Um, so that really starts taking a toll when you do that a couple times a month. And if you only have, well, at the regional level, 11, 12 days off on reserve, I mean, before you know it, you might have six, seven solid days at home and the rest is spent on the road. And, uh, you know, we looked at that and said, this is not a, uh, a place to, you know, bring a new daughter into our household and, and the stress that's already on my wife and my family, 
this the, it just wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth that sacrifice to us. So I chose to take the downgrade. Well, I commend you for that choice. Uh, that was really a smart idea because your your family is the most important. I know that we all talk about wanting to change careers, but you know your family is in, extremely important in making these decisions. To add to your comments, though, about reserve commuting to reserve. It, it is not only significant commuting to reserve, it's also significant when you're computing as a line holder. And, you know, we like to be, you know, as transparent as possible here at the podcast. And, uh, you know, I'll just share with you a little disappointment, somewhat of a disappointment. It wasn't too bad. But uh, last night I uh, finished my trip and I had about a half hour to connect to my flight back home. And I was really excited to go back home. But what happened is our flight was delayed. We got delayed vectors, and we didn't get holding, but we wound up getting in about an hour and a half late. That plane that was going home, it left without me. So what did I do? I wound up, and I'm right now in New Jersey at my brother's, and I kind of wanted to be home. But if you And the point I want to make is if you have a lot of things going on outside of work, like I do the podcast, I do the coaching, I had a coaching session, then this podcast, whether it's, it's doing another job, et cetera, it can be quite difficult if you're trying to do that along with commuting. And because I couldn't commute home uh, and I have another coaching session tomorrow morning, I actually am not going to be able to make it home between my trips. So I had two days off and I'm not going to make it home. Now, with that said, I do all my overnights, almost all my overnights, the majority at my home. So in other words, where I live is a destination of my carrier. So I get to enjoy being home on those overnights. So one of the things I want to stress is we all talk about commuting to work. Uh, it can be a, it can be a challenge and being in base driving to work is a wonderful way to be. And uh, it is a it's a much different lifestyle. That's for sure. And I think, you know, Robert, you definitely agree with that. Um, but uh, but anyway, I, you know, Robert, thanks for sharing as far as the the challenges you've had there. Uh, I was wondering if you'd like, can we uh, let's get started on some uh, listener mail? How's that sound, Robert? Absolutely. Sounds good. I'm ready. Awesome. Let's get started with our first email. Uh, it's uh, it comes in. It says, uh, I am an active duty Army helicopter instructor pilot and will be in transitioning to the private sector in the next year and a half. I have my commercial airplane multi-engine land instrument rating, CFI, CFII, and MEI, and am sitting on 1,300 hours total time and about 65 airplane pilot and command hours short of meeting the restricted ATP minimums. My short-term goal is to become a regional airline pilot with the long-term goal of flying for a major-slash-legacy carrier. In the current hiring environment, it appears that pilots have a very good chance at picking which regional airline they want to work for. I realize there are a lot of variables in choosing a regional, management, contract, domiciles, equipment, etc. However, many regional airlines are advertising no interview flow-through agreements or guaranteed interviews slash hiring preferences with an affiliated major airline. How much of this is marketing hype and gimmicks versus serious consideration in applying to a regional carrier? I know my military, excuse me, I know many military helicopter pilots seriously consider or currently leaving the air, for the airlines making major career decisions in part due to the flow through agreements and the rotor transition programs. Love the show. By the way, I just started listening a week ago, and I wish I had started listening much sooner. Thank you for your time, and I hope to hear this addressed during one of the upcoming episodes. Thanks. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to give you my opinion on that, and then I'll let Robert talk a little bit about this too. But 
Remember, we just talked about the fact that I was the chairman of the furlough committee for uh, Express Jet Airlines. It was Continental Express at the time. And one of the big agreements we had, we had a flow-through agreement. That flow-through agreement during the uh, downturn was actually dissolved. Uh, so those agreements have – I have and I've been doing this for a little while – I've seen flow-through agreements come. I've seen them go. I've seen preferential hiring come, and I've seen them go. They're wonderful. Uh, they give you the ability to jump to another airline. But don't over, ever forget to keep your applications out there. Uh, one of the things with a flow-through agreement that it does for the major airline, it gives them a pool of pilots to actually pick from. And a lot of times what happens to the people that are in the flow-through agreement they know they're not going anywhere else. They're going to that major airline, just like I did. I was actually going to the major airline. And what happened? They got rid of the flow-through. So I wasn't even considering any other airline. So what happened? I had missed out on the possibility of working for another airline because I wasn't even looking. And there's not just – I wasn't the only one that did that. Many people do that. And that's what happens with these flow-through agreements. I know – that I have a pool of folks that I can choose from that are in that flow-through that are probably not going to interview at all with any other airlines. Now, with that said, the benefits of the flow-through, of course, they're great. You, a lot of times you flow through and you continue with your same salary. Say you were making you know, $90, $100 an hour when you left the regional. Well, you're making that when you get to the major. They don't cut your salary. Some flow-through agreements are like that. But the great thing about it is you also get what's called longevity or, or some type of mixture of longevity with all the, some of these flow-through agreements, which means, what does that mean to you? Well, when you're pass riding, uh, meaning you're non-revving from one point to the next, your, your pass riding privileges are based on your date of hire. So if your date of hire was five years ago at the regional, that comes over a lot of times to the major. Now, again, they're all different. Uh, as far as making this transition to the majors uh, and the flow-through agreements, it's a great thing. Uh, remember that during the good times, they're doing this for a reason. They want to be able to have a pool of pilots. During the bad times, flow-through agreements are thrown out the window a lot of times, and they're dissolved, and they're renegotiated. And in, in any bankruptcy, a lot of things are thrown out the window, even contracts that you have uh, with the pilots and, and the other workers. So really important to, to realize that. Uh, I know that uh, let's see, Robert, did that flow-through agreement affect you in any way? I can't remember. Uh, no, I was uh, just after that. But um, correct me, if, didn't they tell you all that uh, when you when you start a class or you interview that this was going to be the last interview that you'd ever have to do? Or were you in that group that they told that to? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting you said that. You know, Gordon Bethune came to our class and said, you know, hey, you know, this is it. You're done. You won't ever have to interview at another airline. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, it's it's similar to I hear this all the time from the TWA pilots. Uh, they say to me that you know during the interview or during the new hire they say you know welcome you now are a millionaire, and uh, you know a lot of them say well yeah I became one but it took me a lot <laughs> a lot more time than I expected because here I am and all of a sudden TWA all the pilots get thrown on the street and are furloughed so. Uh, the point being is nothing is set in stone. Everything changes. Flow-through agreements, I, I think they're great, but they're only as good as the contract that's been written for that flow-through agreement. And I'll give you a good example. Some of these flow-through agreements, uh, you know, say you flow up to the major airline. Well, that major airline could maybe, say, hire two people on the street for every one person or three people off the street for every one person that comes up from the regional. And we had that situation. So we had people that were, say, uh, you know, at Continental Express that were hired 
over at Continental. And then what happened is when they furloughed, they flowed back. See, it's the flow up, but it also goes the other direction too, remember? And when they flowed back, the, there was people that were hired at Continental from American Eagle that were flowing back to Continental Express. And boy, uh, that was kind of tough for some people to swallow that all of a sudden here they are. In now they used to be a uh, captain at Continental Express. Now they're pushed back to the right seat because of the flow back, and they're pushed back to the right seat based on a captain who actually worked at American Eagle or another air carrier. And uh, it was disheartening because uh, people, when they're looking at these flow-through agreements uh, and any agreements, especially right now, they always say, "Well, gosh, you know, you know, don't worry, you'll never have a flow back." And just like Robert said, you know, don't worry, you know, it's this is your last airline interview. You are set. Well, I'll tell you what, I've been through four airline interviews since that last airline interview, Robert. And I think that was a, a, a great statement to, to bring out. So thanks. Thanks for saying that, Robert. That was that was awesome. You know, Robert, you uh, actually, I think you were mentioning before about helicopter pilots. Um, actually, you're, where you work, you had one in your class, I think you mentioned. Uh, yeah, um, uh, he actually um, flew Blackhawks uh, for a while in the Army, and I think he did some fixed wing flying too as well, which is how he had the minimums because he came straight over from the Army to my current carrier. Um, but, uh, yeah, sure enough, good guy, real good guy. Uh, <laughs> he's a brain. He's, he tries to explain stuff to me, and sometimes it goes way over my head because he's, he's a smart dude. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, we sure did. <laughs> you know, it's interesting having uh, a lot of the rotary wing guys moving over because there's all these uh, rotary transition programs. There are, there are some terrific programs that are out there. Uh, but, uh, but I think to answer his question, though, uh, is it a gimmick? gimmick? No, it's not a gimmick. It's just a, it's a, it's a contract that they've they've made with the regional. Can it go away? Yeah, anything can go away. Uh, so it it is something that you should consider going to a regional. Uh, it was the main reason I went to the regional I went to was because of the flow through agreement. But that flow through agreement disappeared. Having been the the furlough chairman through two different furloughs at the same airline. Uh, it changed names later on to Express Jet Airlines. It really uh, was a bit disheartening for many people. So uh, just remember, you are where you are, and you have to continue to look forward because things could change any moment. And and Carl, if I may, the way I, I would almost look at it is I don't even know if this, if this would be the correct way to describe it, but I'd almost look at it as secondary insurance, um, where if something happened to that insurance policy, like it's okay because you're not uh, you know up to creek without a paddle. Um, because like you said, there really, there are people who benefit from the flow through program. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Um, but the thing is, is if you're starting at a brand new airline, if you're starting at, you know, regional X, Y, Z, and they have, you know, so many people ahead in line to go through that flow through program, what could take you four, maybe five years to get to the point where you're eligible, where your number comes up and you go over to another airline, um, that four to five years in aviation is an eternity. So, you know, just, it's not, I wouldn't say it's a gimmick. It's definitely something that the regionals are doing right now to staff their, staff their airline and put people in classes, uh, because it's absolutely a marketing point. I want to go as far to call it a gimmick, but, um, it, it's definitely something that should not be set in stone counted on, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and I like how you said secondary insurance, because, and I hope I didn't sound negative there, because I will say one thing. I've seen more people benefit 
from the actual flow-through agreements then have negative uh, connotations. In other words, there are so many people that benefit from these flow-through agreements. Uh, as a matter of fact, what, what was kind of interesting is kind of, uh, I guess it's funny, during the period where we were renegotiating the flow-through and saying, okay, who's going to make the cutoff and who do we throw off the list? We actually, there was a last number of pilots and we actually called them the Schindler's List. And those are the last people that actually were able to go over. And those were the chosen few that were finally were able to flow through to the major airline. So flow-throughs are great. I think it's a good uh, a good thing to look at. Just always keep your resume up to date and everything uh, you know up to date as far as your flying and your logbooks because you never know what's going to happen with the future. But uh, anyway, great question. Thanks for that. Uh, let's move on to another question here. Uh, it, says, uh, it says, Aviation Careers Podcast. I love the podcast and enjoy listening to them during my morning workouts and commute to work. I'm a recent finance college graduate, 23 years old, and have worked within the finance realm since graduation in May of 2016. I've always had flying in the back of my head, especially when some of my friends introduced the idea to me during school. One of my best friends went to University of North Dakota for aviation, and every time I see or talk to him, I get a sense of jealousy that he's, he gets to fly for a career. I want to make the switch desperately and want to know what type of routes I could take. For instance, where I could be based out of and what type of salaries people are finding through flight instruction, regionals, and the majors. I've thought about going the military route. Although I have intentions of starting a career in aviation sooner, I would most likely rather go the civilian route since I'll feel that going the civilian route may cater to me staying close to home, family, etc. Any advice would be great. Wow, there's a lot here. Great question. Uh, let's go back and start start talking about the, the degree. First of all, glad you have the degree. You're going to need that to go to the majors. Uh, I know we get this question a lot. It's going to come up in a future podcast, but uh, just have a degree. It doesn't matter so much what you have it in. Uh, it is cool that the, your friends get to go fly. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about switching over and bases, that type of thing that we're talking about, what type of salaries. Salaries range dramatically, especially on the flight instruction uh, side of things. I know I instructed and made a really good living as a flight instructor. Didn't make a ton of money, but I made really good living because we catered to instructors that wanted to stay for a long time. As a matter of fact, uh, Robert, <laughs> you wound up doing some instructing also at the same place, didn't you? I sure did, and I actually chose that place not only because that's where I learned to fly and it was my home airport, but uh, where I was currently going to school, the only offered instructor is like $9 an hour, and back home it was something like $21 an hour, so it was over double. <laughs> so yes, that is exactly why I went there. You know, what's interesting is that, and that's a great example, the, the place that you were at, the school you were first talking about that was $9 an hour was a really big school, and you would assume a really big school would would pay more. And, and a lot of times that's not true. The smaller schools uh, that cater to a certain marketplace and uh, some schools that, that are medium-sized sometimes have better salaries, even benefits like having health insurance, etc. So uh, take a look at the whole package and instruction. You can make a good living instructing uh, after you have some experience ex especially. But just remember, you're at, you're at the minimum wage level. You're at that point where you're just getting started in a career. Uh, you're not going to see 
737 or an Airbus A380 after just getting a commercial license. Uh, that's going to take a few years to get there. I know that seems really obvious to a lot of people, but uh, you don't just walk into those six-figure incomes uh, when you get out of get out of flight school. So it's going to take a little while. I always tell people, give yourself five to ten years to get to where you want to be. People ask me, you know, when can I make, say, 75000 a year? Well, it depends on which regional you go to and how hard you work. I mean, you can be making seventy-five, eighty thousand after four years working at a regional, or it could take you eight to ten years, depending on which regional you're working for. So make sure you, you really look at that. I, uh, another thing, too, that I think is interesting is what you said about the military route. You have your degree uh, to get your training all paid for. You're going to have to do it yourself uh, from whatever income you're getting now. The civilian route is better for you, I think, from what you said. I mean, obviously, we'd have to talk more in depth individually, but having that civilian route means that you can stay close to home and family, which might be a much better option. You know, the military is wonderful, pays for a lot of things, but uh, with that, you do have to make a commitment. And uh, I'm a big fan of the military, but you have to make sure that that's what you want to do. But it kind of sounds like you're leaning more in that direction. Uh, regionals, majors, of course, in the majors, uh, you know, that's that's the, the goal. Uh, as far as making money, gosh, you know, if you're at a major, you're there for, let's, let's be conservative. Say you're at a major for three years, you're going to be making six figures. Uh, there's not too many airlines out there. You, you won't make, be making that kind of money after three years. Um, and even at the majors as first officers, after five years, uh, you can make it, you know, 200 to even, you know, 250, 300 at some places if you work really hard as a first officer. And obviously as a captain being conservative, you're going to be making, you know, a couple hundred thousand a year. The Those numbers are the goal so but don't think that though that's what you're going to be making right now because it takes takes a while to get there and uh you know i'm curious if you want to share this robert um looking at where you were and the regional you were at you had a setback during that period uh, it took me about oh i think it was from 01 till 06 to be able to make actually six figures and i was working real hard uh where did you find yourself after how many years were you able to break that say uh 85, 90, or even a six-figure income? Yeah, a good question. Um, <clears throat> there was a couple of years that uh, – well, so obviously with the down, when I got downgraded and stuff, that was – I think we were probably from the 40 to 60s, depending on what the year looked like. Um, and that was working hard, picking up trips. Uh, I would say I flirted with six figures, maybe made around 90 my last – two years and that was mostly because um you know the czech airman came with a little bit extra pay uh, there was a little bit of a pay override with that um and then uh, obviously i didn't make six figures uh at my current company first year because first year pay is typically a little low this is honestly if i'm going to answer honestly the first year in my airline career that i'm going to break six figures and i'm going to break it pretty good too um that's one nice thing about my current airline where i work is the ability to pick up uh you get a lot of time off and you have a lot of chances to pick up in fact i'm looking at either picking up something tomorrow or tuesday depending on how it works out but um so yeah this will be my first year actually breaking six figures and i came pretty close the last two years at express jet but then again it, it was kind of the give and take of okay um you know i have obligations at home that i have to take care of uh you know with all the kids and all that stuff and then 
so it's, it's always that delicate balance in life between working hard and making a lot of money or, you know, making sure that I'm providing the family my time and, and being there for them when they need me to be there for them. So there's always that, that delicate dance and that, that fine line. You know, Robert, I'm glad you brought that up because there's another thing we can talk about, too, about making money and how it is very important to have a contract and, and maybe work for an airline that, that has the ability to pick up some extra flying because there's a thing called FAR-117, which we really haven't talked about much, but that has changed the ability for you to make extra money because you cannot work as much. I mean, I remember, you know, when I was flying for the regionals, heck, I was happy just to get five, six hours of sleep at night in between trips. I mean, now, I mean, that's honestly, that is the best thing that came about with FAR 117 in my view is the fact that you have to get 10 hours of rest and you have to get eight hours of sleep opportunity. I was like, I don't know, Robert, uh, I don't know if you remember, but getting eight hours of sleep, that was, that was unheard of for a while, wasn't it? Oh yeah, oh, man! I can tell you some horror stories. That's for sure. <laughs> where you come in and you do like a thirteen, fourteen hour day, where you almost max out your duty day, and then you go and do a eight hour over. And that's not eight hours at the hotel. That is eight hours from what our line is. Eight hours from fifteen minutes after you pull up to the gate and set that break. That eight hour clock starts, and then uh, it starts up again at your, uh, you know, what we call the show time, where you show up in the morning. So. That didn't include travel time. That didn't include, uh, you know, any any time to get dinner or anything like that. So yeah, there was a couple nights in there before FAR 117 where it was five and a half, six hours of sleep on a good overnight uh, after a very long day. So yes, <laughs> unfortunately, I remember that very well. Uh, but it's definitely a lot better now. Yeah, FAR 117, and and you know, obviously, we don't have time to do it in this show. But we, you know, if you want, we can get into it if people have questions about it. But one of the things that's really different is the fact that we used to be able to work as much as we wanted in a day. It was basically if you were, as far as flying time, if you were scheduled to start that day, you were legal to start, you were legal to finish that day, and it didn't matter what happened in between. Now uh, the FAA looks at it and says, well, it's based on how much you actually flew, not what you were scheduled to fly. So if you were scheduled to fly five hours and you flew nine hours, you were good to go, but not anymore. Those things have changed. So it's it's a much different uh, ball game here. So what would happen in the past? We would divert, and since we were still good to go, we had you know we were good with our total number of hours as far as our duty day. But uh, flying time, we may have already put it in eight hours. If you had to do another two hours, you could do it. Uh, that's not not so much true anymore. So it's kind of really really interesting. Well, Robert, that's all the time we have here uh, for for the podcast, for the questions and answers. This has been awesome as far as helping us out and learning from, from your challenges. And, and hopefully, Robert, we'll have you have you come back and answer a few questions, especially uh, on some of the interview questions that we have coming forward. Yeah, absolutely. I, I look forward to it. So it'll be, it's, it'll be good. To, it's always a good time to talk to you, Carl. It reminds me back of uh, instrument training days. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't know if I get a little uh, about a PTSD every time oh, I talk to you or nice. what. <laughs> a little PTSD. <laughs> now, be I'm nice. Kidding, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> no, you're a fantastic instructor. <laughs> well, that's... And you knew all the great places to go eat after a lesson. So. Yeah, and that's why I'm so heavy. Yeah. <laughs> <Nice. laughs> 
Yeah. I didn't mean it like that. You took it that way. So. <laughs> no, I know, I know. But it, you know what's interesting is that one of the things we do when we're flying and flight instructing, and I hope everybody listening will do that, is try to find places to have fun with your students. You know, show them some place to eat. So show them some museum at an airport. Fly them over some really cool location uh, around. You know, whatever area that you fly, there's always something neat to see. So try to do that. Well, again, Robert, thanks for being here. We'll definitely have you back on the podcast here soon. If you have any questions uh, for Robert, of course, you can send them here, feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com, and we will send them along to Robert, have him back on to answer. If he's not around to answer it, he can always uh, write back to us, and and uh, we'll talk about uh, whatever it is the question is you have for him. Well, folks, uh, like I say at the end of every show, and I think this is really important, is uh, you know, like Robert said and, and everybody else, is it, it's really simple moving forward in your career and in your life. All you have to do is just take one step. Take one step today to move forward in your life, in your career. It may be a big step, it may be a small step, but just do something. If you can just take one little step, if it's like, oh man, it's so tough to do anything, and you take that one step, you'd be surprised how that leads to a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth, and you're actually at your goal in no time. Well, folks, safe flying. We'll talk to you next episode. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler, all rights reserved. 